Welcome to Influencer Business, where influencers get help with the hard stuff. Think of us as your business Bible. We're a team of influencers and entrepreneurs dedicated to bringing professional resources and infrastructure to our community. I'm Rich Scudelari, CEO of Trove. I'm an entrepreneur focused on helping influencers run and grow their businesses with the resources and information they need. I host this podcast as well as a live webinar called Office Hours, which takes place every Wednesday. Here, I dig deeper into each weekly topic and answer all of your most pressing questions. Our weekly podcast features guests from across the professional landscape, sharing their experiences and advice and answering questions from the Trove community, which you can submit on our website at www.trovebusiness.com. Welcome back to Influencer Business. I'm your host, Rich Scudelari. We have an amazing episode lined up for you today. We have two incredible lawyers who are going to help you with one of the things in your life that probably gives you hives, and that's negotiation. We've got two lawyers who are going to help walk you through how to become a better negotiator. First off, we have Julie Matloff-Kennedy, who is a lecturer at Stanford's Law School, where she teaches a negotiation seminar and also coaches students in trial advocacy courses. Before she was a lecturer at Stanford, she actually directed litigation training at Morrison and Forrester for over a decade. And before that, she was a litigation partner at Folger, Levin, and Kahn. So Julie combines an amazing experience in the field with an incredible tenure as a teacher. On the other side, we have Danny Miller. Danny is a lawyer at Hirsch, Wallerstein, Hayam, Matloff, and Fishman in Los Angeles, and he represents actors, directors, writers, producers in all sorts of industries, film, television, gaming, and new media. And he has actually worked with a number of influencers, representing them and helping them negotiate better deals. So on one side, you have Julie, who will give you kind of the textbook frameworks for how to approach a problem, how to approach a negotiation. And on the other side, Danny will chime in with, a lot of industry expertise built upon his work as an advocate for influencers when negotiating deals. Before we dive into the interview, I want to make a quick disclaimer. Julie and Danny have joined us today on the podcast as individual contributors to the podcast. What they say should not be construed as legal advice. They are not representing their respective schools or firms. They are here as professionals commenting on something that occurs in our industry, and they are not providing legal advice. With that, I'd like to welcome Julie and Danny to the podcast. Thanks so much for joining us today on Influencer Business. Pleasure to be here. Happy to be here. So let's jump right into it. When do negotiations start, right? It's not just about when first contact is made, but it's also about the lead up to all that, whether it's your Instagram profile, how you address people when they reach out to you. Julie, from your end, talk to us a little bit about when do negotiations actually start? Well, that's a great question. When we teach negotiation, we tend to think about four stages of negotiation. And the first stage is really relationship and rapport building. The second stage is planning and preparation. And the third stage is making offers and concessions and trying to create a deal. The last stage is finding clarity and commitment. So if you think about it that way, you realize that the offers and concessions, the kind of haggling dance that many people think of as negotiation, that's actually the third stage. So Mm -hmm. what that really suggests is that we have to think about really zooming out um, and taking a much bigger picture of what the whole negotiation process is, realizing that in the context of stage one, relationship building, 
every single thing you're doing out in the world that's in any way public or that is in any way going to touch on your counterpart is a signal and an early stage communication saying who you are as a person in the marketplace, in the world, if you're a professional, if you're responsive, if you're easy to deal with, if you have something unique to say, all of those things are setting the stage for your relationship building with your counterparty. Um, And then if you have an initial contact with someone who's a potential deal participant with you, there is a ton of work to be done in preparation, understanding who that person is, what she's looking for, what their particular needs might be and their interests, what your Mm -hmm. overlapping interests might be, um, and what your goals in that interaction would be. All of that happens really before you're doing any kind of, uh, you know, deal making whatsoever. So it's a much longer, bigger picture than I think most people intuitively see. Mm -hmm. And Danny, as influencers, how can people set themselves up effectively for the first two stages before you even get to any of the haggling? I think it's a big part is just defining your brand and realizing that if you are looking for deals, then you need to make your, whether it's your YouTube channel or your Instagram page, brand friendly. And Mm -hmm. it's, it's not having uh, illegal or illicit posts or or topics. It's um, setting what type of things you want to talk about and signaling to the brands what you would be good at marketing or selling to your audience. So it's crafting your your brand as well as developing an audience that will buy a particular product or service. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to maximizing your outcome, you know, setting sending that signal that hey, not only is this what I am focused on, but also you should pay me commensurate with my ability to produce content and drive results. Are there any things in particular that they can think about or do that would enable them to maximize their outcome? I think it is just being a good partner, and it's it's over delivering on on what you're promising. And it's whether it's replying in comments or looking happy when you're doing the brand deal. It's you're selling a story that I love this product and that's why the brand is engaging with you. And so everything that that supplements that and everything that goes into that to make that brand and other brands feel good and assured that you are not going to take this and, and then post a picture where you look miserable or you're there's misspellings in the in the description or the <laughs> yeah. links don't work. All right. of those things speak to your professionalism and mm-hmm. and how risky you are to to do a deal with. Yeah, that's really interesting because the brand is investing in you. And I think you hit on two things there. One, first of all, brands look at other branded content, right? So they're going to look at the other sponsored posts and the other collaborations that you've done in the past, and they're going to use that as a measuring stick. Okay, this is what we can expect out of them as an investment, right? Because they're putting money to work, not only because you have an audience, but also because you're creating this content. And so it's not a guaranteed outcome for them. So those are definitely things that they look at, but also something you mentioned, it's a very small industry. People talk. And so if you do a good job for other brands or other agencies or other people in the industry, word gets out. We're, you know, And so if you're a good partner, that will make its rounds and give you some natural leverage. So building on this, so let's say you've done a good job of setting the stage. You've done a good job of building kind of credibility. You've done a good job of creating a profile and your external facing kind of PR, if you will, is good. 
when it comes down to it, there's this tricky point. A brand reaches out, they want to work with you, and they kind of, but first they want to know what your rate is. But also the influencer wants to know, wants to know how much budget there is. How do you navigate this kind of initial point? There's a lot of literature out there, uh, a mixed literature on who should make the first move. Julie, what do you teach in this scenario? Who should make the first move? Should the influencer give their rate card or should they ask the brand for uh, the budget? So I'll give you my standard answer, which I think is always Mm -hmm. true. And the answer is, it depends. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Not what I wanted to hear. (laughs) Well, and, and I say that for a couple of reasons. You're absolutely right that there's all kinds of conflicting information about who should make a first offer or a first demand. And in fact, there's a piece of so-called conventional wisdom that says, he who makes the first offer loses. Um, And (laughs) I don't agree with that because I truly do think that it depends. Uh, There Mm -hmm. actually is a lot of research on this in in the world of negotiation theory. A lot of it has to do with how much knowledge you have in advance. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. And the more knowledgeable you are about the market, the particular deal terms, their value in the world, your own past experience with these kinds of deals, um, in this case, the, the other party's experience with these kinds of deals, if you have a lot of knowledge, you, there can be a lot of power in structuring a first offer. On the other hand, if you're really in a complete fog of, of ignorance or there's just not a lot of information out there for you, there can be a danger in making a first offer. Of course, the danger is that you've set yourself at too, too yeah. low of a bar. That's the fear. Right. Um, mm-hmm. So I guess I would say, and, the, and this is what we teach, um, that I would try to have a lot of conversation, and I, I actually do mean conversation, not email, uh, <laughs> to the extent possible about what the brand is looking for. Um, mm-hmm. What is it that you have to offer them? Why are they coming to you? Is it a particular mm-hmm. trust relationship you have with your followers, an expertise, a track record with this particular whatever it is, um, a mm-hmm. niche following, you know, what is it that you've got that's valuable to them? Once you understand that, you have some understanding of whether or not, you know, you can demand a particular premium for that. If what they're coming right. to you for can be obtained from 50 other influencers, no, there's no particular premium. Uh, if mm-hmm. on the other hand, there's something about your following that's unique, Yes, you can seek a premium on that. So right. mm-hmm. I, I think there's a lot of information gathering and conversation um, that will affect your decision about whether or not to be the first to put an offer on the table. Absolutely. And there are a lot of opportunities to do this. It's not just, hey, can we pick up the phone and talk? Some, you'll meet these people all over the place, right? And you'll be out in an event and you'll cross paths with them. So there are a lot of different ways you can pick up information. I think what you said earlier as well is incredibly important. The more info you have, just across the broader spectrum of the space, the better. Danny, when, based on what you've seen, how do you generally advise your, your clients to handle this kind of first foray into the actual haggling that occurs? Well, I think the way that a lot of these types of deals might come in is through their business email address that's listed on either their Instagram or their YouTube or their yeah. social media platform. And mm-hmm. I think the most important thing to have is just kind of 
a filtering mechanism. So if it's mm-hmm. a brand you don't want to work with, to immediately just discard it and not to waste time going back and forth and seeing if they can find something or a, a, a way that it will work. And because there should be, or there likely is, a ton of offers coming in that just generated through uh, robots or, or bots that are sending out to uh, influencers in that particular category with mm-hmm. a budget and a brief description and then seeing who bites and who responds back. Sure. Um, so if you have a threshold for uh, the the money, the compensation you would need to earn or brands or categories, and then so once you've eliminated the, the vast majority or a, a lot of the stuff that you would not be interested in, then it's, as Julie said, diving in and actually having a conversation and, and figuring out if the deal makes sense for you. Yeah. And I think it's interesting because you can often learn just by having those what seem like casual conversations, you can pick up indicators and little pieces of information that will allow you to build kind of a negotiating strategy. Like you said, Julie, if you can pick up, hey, I'm special because of X, Y, and Z, you know you have leverage. And so that's incredibly important and something that people should do when thinking about whether or not to make the first move. Um, Another thing that influencers have to deal with in this space is kind of the unwitting negotiator or the novice negotiator. And what I mean by this is how do you deal with someone who doesn't really know that they're in a negotiation? They think they're at the supermarket and that they can either hit the price or not because the reality is most of these influencers would take a discount to work on a project, right? Their standard rates are XYZ, but they would take a discount to to that for a longer-term partnership or even, you know, a first-time partnership or whatever it might be. So they don't necessarily want to say, hey, my rates are negotiable, but at the same time, they want a partner who understands that this is a negotiation. How do you deal as an influencer with that? Meaning you don't know if they understand this is a real negotiation or if they think they're at the supermarket looking to buy something. Well, I, I think assuming that the the deal or your potential interest in the transaction makes it past the kinds of filters that Danny talked about, again, I go back to try to have a broader conversation that's not, what's your rate? My rate is X. Because that you're putting yourself in the supermarket framework if you do that. Um, I, I, I would go back to the same conversation, really go back to understanding what is it about me and my followers that you think is a good match for this project? And I'd like to understand more about how I can help you. Are we talking about a, a one-off, a multi-part deal? You know, what's your thinking about this? What are your hopes for this? Um, and then mm-hmm. once you hear and gather that information, then you can start structuring an appropriate rates conversation and make a conscious decision about, yes, this is a case where I'll take a discount off my normal rate because it's a good opportunity and there's a future long-term relationship or no, you know, this is a place where I'm going to stick to my minimums. It's not that interesting or important to me. I'm not willing to be flexible, but Mm -hmm. you have to get in conversation to start making those kinds of analyses. Danny, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah. Well, actually from my experience, I have not found too many uh, buyers who do not, who aren't aware that they're in a negotiation. Mm-hmm. And so I've, most times, if there is a dialogue or there is someone reaching out, they're from the the marketing or advertising departments. Mm-hmm. And the ultimate goal they're aware is to make a deal with with an influencer or or a creator. Mm-hmm. So I haven't found the the unknowing novice who 
it might be forming a relationship um, and might not be. Got it. So, so, it's, so your perspective is that at this juncture, it's pretty well known that when you're in these conversations, it's a negotiation and it's not something that influencers should worry too much about. Yes, I, exactly. I, I don't think that there will be many situations where you're just asked to show up at a photo shoot and, and you're going to be used in some sort of uh, campaign or they're asking you to do things when there hasn't been a uh, a deal or, or some terms discussed. And I think that it, uh, yeah, I think that most brands, it, it doesn't get that far. Yeah, yeah. No, but what I mean is like, you'll have a social media manager reaches out to you and says, hey, we've, we uh, are interested in using you on this campaign. You know, what are your rates? You say, well, my rates are X. And then they never respond or they um, say, oh, okay, well, it's not going to work out. When in reality, you might do it for 25% less of X. And they weren't aware of that. And so you actually never get to that stage that you're talking about where you take, you know, you're, you're actually involved in the campaign. Um, be, because you have super young people in these social media manager positions because a lot of these companies think, well, you're young, you get social media. Uh, so why don't you kind of work on our influencer side of things? And yes, it's become more commercialized and it, be, it, it has become a lot more clear that this is, uh, you know, everything is negotiable, but there's still a lot of people out there who, who aren't used to the haggling process, who aren't used to negotiating. And uh, as an influencer, it can be frustrating when you're either ghosted or somebody says, okay, we can't afford it. And you're like, well, this is a negotiation. You should have come back with something. Got it. I think that that scales up with the compensation in the deal. And I think that at the bottom of the, where they're just throwing out and they're looking for a hundred deals, they don't have time to negotiate with various influencers. And so if it's a $5,000 deal, it's just take it or leave it. And whoever bites, we're going to work with and whomever comes back with too much or, or want to negotiate, they just move on. And so, but as the, the value of the deal increases, they are much more likely to engage in that type of negotiation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. So in that sense, as an influencer, you still shouldn't worry about it because, uh, you know, regardless of what you come back with, uh, you know, they're either ready to negotiate or they're not. And so, you know, the, the, their mind has already been made up and there's nothing you can do about it. So you shouldn't worry about it. Yeah. I think that there will be a next, if, if they don't have the time to, if you're, a few thousand dollars apart and they don't have the courtesy to re respond, then it's just kind of a dime a dozen and you're, you're just being plugged into uh, an equation to satisfy the view requirement from some advertiser. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it also depends on the buyer. Like you said, you know, sometimes it'll be a few thousand and those are, you're probably getting involved in larger deals, but there are also uh, a lot of brands and retailers who will haggle over a few hundred dollars. And it just depends on the size of the influencer, depends on the size of the deals, depends on, you know, the agency that's working on it. So it, you, I think you're right. It just depends. Yeah, exactly. Well, let's go to the exciting part. All right. The negotiations are now starting earnest, full swing. We're talking dollars, we're talking cents, we're talking, you know, scope of work. Um, and the first offer has been made or the influencer tells the brands their rate. What is the playbook as an influencer? Where do you go from here, Julie? Well, I'd say you should have in hand, actually, before you get into that back and forth, a really clear understanding of your own goal. You know, yeah. what is it that you think that your services are worth out in the marketplace? Mm -hmm. 
And I encourage people to be optimistic with that goal, not insane pie in the sky, but, you know, best case scenario, what, what could I get mm-hmm. here? And then also have an expectation. This is what I customarily get. This is what I know other people doing the same thing are getting, you know, sort of, this is what the, the baseline should be. Mm-hmm. And then very importantly, what is my reservation point or walk away? Yeah. What is the number below which I'm not willing to do this? It's not worth my time. It actually undermines my standing if I do something at a really low level. And I think it's really important that those three points are clearly in mind because once you've laid those out, and I, I really encourage people to actually write it yeah. out somewhere mm-hmm. and it, get it cemented so that you don't get swayed or so caught up in the moment of mm-hmm. you know, the deal making that you make a deal that's not good for you right. or that you lose sight of what you really want with that deal. Um, and then to the extent that the deals have more than one term, to the extent it's not just a straight dollar deal mm-hmm. and deals that aren't just straight dollars always have more value. Um, think about trade-offs. You know, if there's a, a longer term relationship, how much is that worth to you? And how much would you trade for the upfront payment? Um, you know, that the prioritization, like these are my top things that I must have. These are things I would like to have. And these are the things I could horse trade away and don't really care so mm-hmm. much. That's how you get involved in more sophisticated uh, deal making in a in a concession pattern where you're trading higher priorities against lower priorities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so creating that kind of zone of negotiation, if you will, your ideal outcome versus this is the bare minimum that I would take, and then listing out the priorities based upon the different deal points. Danny, right? Have you seen uh, the same thing? When it comes to negotiation, are influencers good at doing this? Are there other things that they could be doing? I think that the hardest thing for an influencer is to walk away from a deal mm-hmm. and yeah. and then see it go to someone they know and feel <laughs> yeah. like, oh, I could have done that and that person just made X amount of money. But to what Julie was saying, I think that you really have to factor in everything. And it's not just the dollars and cents of that particular deal. It's whether you're posting for Coca-Cola you're not going to be able to do another beverage right. endorsement mm-hmm. for quite some time. And depending on how it's going to be used or or how long it has to stay up on your channel, there are costs and benefits to everything. And so doing one deal could foreclose several others. So you have to make sure that the, the deal you're doing makes sense. And you have to have that plan and that understanding of what it means to you on every level. Yeah. And it's really important to do that before the negotiations begin in earnest because with everything like negotiations, blood, you know, the, the, your adrenaline runs high and you're thinking about a million different things and you can get lost in the negotiation and end up creating a deal for yourself that's less than ideal. And so having this objective view going in will help you stay within your rational thinking range of what is acceptable and what is not and not allow the deal to get away from you or allow yourself to get so wrapped up in negotiation and perhaps trying to win, quote unquote, the negotiation and end up in a worse position than if you just walked away from the deal. Yeah. I mean, it's it's interesting that you say that about the adrenaline. Um, Something that we work with our students all the time on is, you know, techniques for self-management and not getting swept away when you're negotiating for yourself. Yeah. Or, um, and what are some of those techniques? Well, 
slowing down <laughs> is, is, is really the, the most, most important. Yeah, very, very high tech. Uh, yeah. Just really take the time to listen carefully to what's being said to you. People get very, very focused on you know, what am I going to say next? And, that, and that's really, really natural. And that really gets in the way of listening. So taking the time to consciously listen, write down at whatever you're hearing carefully, and then just have the self-confidence to be able to say, here's what I think you're offering. I heard you say X and Y and Z on these terms. Uh, have I got that right? Mm-hmm. To make sure that you actually do have a complete understanding of what the proposal is. And sometimes if it's not what you were expecting or, you know, there was a surprise element or it's much higher or lower, sometimes it's really okay to say, you know what, I really appreciate that offer. Um, is it okay if I get back to you end of the day with a response or, or a counter proposal? Because sometimes people are just really not prepared to juggle all those different pieces in the moment and end up making snap decisions that aren't as thoughtful as they could be. So just you know, give yourself some time and space to be thoughtful in that back and forth concession process. Mm-hmm. I think a couple incredible points there, Julie. First of all, listening and making that the focal point of what you do during a negotiation, because if you're under control and the other side is not, you'll learn so much more by just listening. And it also forces you to slow yourself down. The other thing that I think is incredibly powerful is actually writing these things down, even if you're in person, especially if you're in person, taking the time to write these things down because one, it will slow you down. Two, it will allow you to remember things if you do need to remove yourself from the negotiation to contemplate what they're offering. And then the third thing I think is incredibly important that a lot of people don't do, it's clarifying. It's saying, this is what I heard from you. Is that right? Because whether it's in the heat of the moment, whether it's you just missed something, oftentimes a lot of the miscommunication that occurs can derail a deal if it's not kind of worked out on the spot or very clearly before a final deal comes up. Because if you heard something different, you agree upon it, and then a term sheet or a contract comes around and you have to sign, you're like, wait, this is not what I agreed to. So actually clarifying it is a great way to give yourself a little bit of pause and make sure you understand what they're offering before moving ahead. And there's another question that I think is really powerful. And Danny's example about the Coca-Cola exclusive made me think of this after you've clarified that you've properly heard what the offer is, I think there's a really great follow-up question is, is there anything else? Mm. And that's the place in which they say you have an exclusive on soft drinks for six months or whatever, because that kind of term popping up at the last minute can really derail a negotiation. Yeah. <laughs> so make sure you have an understanding of the full scope of terms and interests um, that you can consider as an entire package Mm -hmm. is really important. Yeah. Are there any other tactics that you use, Danny, or that you advise your clients to use? Yes. So just to uh, add on to what Julie was saying, even if there is no exclusivity in the contract, there is the indirect chilling of opportunities because if Pepsi's looking at your channel, they're going to see Coca-Cola. And so Mm Coca-Cola might not care to have exclusivity (laughs) because as long as they're on your channel, no one else is going to come in. Mm -hmm. And so whether it's expressed or not, I think taking in those, the consequences and the cost benefit is just always something to consider. Knowing the market, right. Yeah, exactly. The hardest thing for these types of situations is the time crunch. And for a lot of these influencers, the deals are, they want to record or film within a few days or it's, it's 
we're going on a trip and like we are going to get all expenses paid to Coachella, <laughs> but you have to sign this and get on this private jet the this afternoon. Offer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so I think that the, the best way that I advise my clients is to, to think about and, and come to a decision in their head and then see how they feel about it. Mm-hmm. And if it doesn't feel right, if it's not a good opportunity, if it's not enough money and that's how they, that's the decision, then, then remember that feeling, make your decision and try not to look back Got because mm-hmm. you're going to have that, that second guessing, oh, if I'd just done the deal, it'd be over now and I would have had that experience or that money in my pocket. Mm-hmm. But it's important to, and that can drive you crazy. Right. And, and seeing every opportunity is something you can't turn down right. when that's not necessarily good for your career. Right. And so once you've made a decision, remember how you felt and why you made it, and then try not to look back. And I think that's great advice for negotiation, period. Just to be conscious of your gut afterwards, whether you're feeling relieved that you dodged a bullet or ecstatic that you made a good deal and build that into your muscle memory for future negotiations. What was it about that negotiation? What was your process, your intention, your commitment to your goals that got you to that good feeling? Or where did you waver or give in to pressure or fail to be deliberate enough that left you with that kind of sick feeling afterwards. <laughs> so, um, you know, the, if you think of yourself in an, as a negotiator over the course of time, to be learning and incorporating from each of those experiences is a terrific tactic. Yeah. And one of the things I want, actually want to dig in on really quickly is experimentation, because as we've talked about you know, and as you've indicated in some of your answers, like this is not a linear, there is not an exact defined playbook and it's different for everybody. Everybody has different strengths, different personality characteristics that will make them good at certain types of negotiation, bad at others. So is there room for experimentation in a live negotiation, right? Do you do one negotiation different than you do others uh, and, and allow yourself to let go of this, I need to do this one perfectly? Well, if someone out there knows how to do it perfectly, they should come and teach my class. <laughs> um, I, I don't think there is a perfect. I always tell people if you see those books at the airport that say, you know, the five magic rules to winning every negotiation, my tip is don't waste your money. <laughs> every negotiation is different. Um, every negotiator is different. And that you're, even if you have the same style and approach every time, your interactions with different people across the table, the, the metaphorical table from you, will be different. So you have to be a, a person who can adjust and be flexible. I think that there's it's really intriguing, the notion of experimenting, but I would suggest to people that they experiment outside of the way they're making a living. Yeah, sure. And by, by that I mean, try experimenting with, you know, your internet service provider, call them up and tell them the rate's too high and you're going to switch if they don't, you know, give you a better deal. Go to the local farmer's market and, you know, try it out there. Exactly. Um, And see what kinds of techniques work for you. You know, if you're buying something at a department store and there's a loose button, you know, try saying, you know, I really like this, but I'm going to have to pay someone to to fix these buttons. What can you give me off? Mm -hmm. You know, just try out different things, see what works for you, what kinds of tools you can incorporate if you need to ramp up your own assertiveness, that's a great way to practice. But I would suggest, you know, not not making too big of uh, <laughs> moves in, in a way that you're actually trying to make a living because um, that carries more risk. But life presents itself with a million opportunities to, to negotiate all day long. So 
look for those and see what you can do to be creative and hone your skills in those contexts. Yeah. Danny, do you have anything to add to that? I'm not opposed to experimentation at all for, uh, depending on the deal. I think that I, I wouldn't experiment with being super aggressive and, and condescending in one negotiation yeah. and then, and then uh, just very, very nice and accommodating in the other. But as far as experimenting with different ideas that the brand might have or different platforms, or if you're hosting something, if it's outside of your wheelhouse, um, it might be good and it might help you learn. Or if, if there are certain requirements um, that are kind of deal breakers to, to say to them and say, Hey, I'm going to throw out this list of things that, uh, I need, and if it doesn't work, you can, you can go away and no big deal. Mm-hmm. And if they, they don't do it, then so be it. And then it, let's say that works, you're, it's for the better. Right. And so it's almost like micro experiments within a negotiation. It's not drastically changing your, hey, I'm going to be the asshole versus I'm going to be the super nice person. It's more micro experiments within kind of a range in which you're comfortable. Yeah. I think that the, the point, as what Julie was saying, don't experiment with uh, with how you make a living. So I wouldn't do it unless you're comfortable seeing the deal go away. Mm, okay. And mm-hmm. but, but if if it's kind of on, you could go either way on it and you'd be fine if it didn't work out, but you you do think that these particular elements would be necessary to make you feel good about closing it, I think that it's it's fine to mix things up or, or throw out new requests to get it to where you need it to be. Yeah. And to be clear, I absolutely agree with that. I guess I thought you were talking about experimenting with different negotiation styles as opposed to creative deal-making. No, I was. And, I, I was and, talking and, about and, all and, of it. So. I guess my concern with regard to style, and Danny is right about this, your reputation as a negotiator and a professional is the most important thing you have yeah. for your negotiation success. So doing some kind of wild swings between... <laughs> really conciliatory and really aggressive mm-hmm. between, you know, really forcefully bluffing or making really high demands that that could really be undermining yeah. of your professional reputation. That's mm-hmm. completely different from the kind of creative experimentation that, that Danny was talking about that I think seems like a great idea. Yeah. Uh, I just want to be careful that I'm, that people are protecting their their reputations and in, for integrity in the marketplace. Yeah, absolutely. It's a small it's a small world out there. But let's dig in a little bit deeper on this idea of creativity. So when you when you think about negotiating, you're usually as an influencer thinking about dollars for services provided, but expanding the terms of a negotiation and and how can you do that effectively? Danny, maybe we'll start with you. You know, oftentimes people think about the single variable, right? The dollars being provided, but when you have multiple variables or across which you can negotiate, you have more ability to craft a deal, so to speak, right? You don't get stuck on one point. How can you do that effectively as an influencer? I think it's taking the, there's a few terms. Usage is probably the biggest one in how it's being used and the nature of the content that's being produced. So mm-hmm. if they're asking for five posts for X amount of dollars, you could say, I'll give you three or I'll give you one main post and Instagram stories, or I'll give you a dedicated video versus an integrated video. Mm-hmm. There's what is being made and then how it's used later. Sometimes mm-hmm. people will create an offer and they want you to post, but then they're going to take that post and use it in other paid media. You can say, well, mm-hmm. that's not allowed. For, for that amount of money, you get one post and you can repost it once and that's it. 
but it's not going to be put in any other materials. Right. You can't really use it other than mentioning it. You can't boost it or whitelist it and, and promote it. There's different ways of how your content is used as well as how much content is created and where it's going. Mm-hmm. Those would be the, the main aspects, I'd say, that you could tweak and modify to a particular deal to have it fit the appropriate dollar amount. Mm-hmm. And Julie, when you're thinking about this from a tactical, a theory perspective, how do you approach that? Well, what Danny just described is, you know, basically a quote right out of one of the books I use in my class. It's a famous negotiation quote that says, price doesn't matter. It's all about terms. <laughs> and um, so I, I was, you know, his examples are terrific. I guess and from an ac- more academic point of view, one way to think about it that, you know, people can sometimes hold on to this metaphor, is to think about when you're dividing up resources, how do you expand terms to create more value? Mm -hmm. So the very classic, you know, stereotypical teaching metaphor is as follows. If I have one orange Mm -hmm. and both of the two of you tell me that you want the orange, the simplest binary single term way to look at it is I slice the orange in half and I give you each a half an orange. Mm-hmm. And you know, that's an okay outcome probably for both of you. Mm-hmm. But if I s- try to understand what your interests are behind your request for the orange. Yeah. And if I say to you, you know, Rich, why do you want the orange? What are you going to tell me? I'm going to tell you, I want the peel to take and I'm going to create a rind and use it as a magic potion. Okay. Well, most people say marmalade, but magic potion is fine. (laughs) That's even better. And then, you know, now, Danny, you have to be my shell and say that you're hungry and you want to eat the fruit. (laughs) Um, So if I understand what's going on behind your request for that limited resource, I can obviously create a higher value deal Mm -hmm. by giving Rich all of the peel to make his magic potion and Danny all of the fruit to eat and, you know, satisfy his hunger. So the the why question, what's the interest behind the demand Mm -hmm. is really the, this really fundamental interest-based negotiation approach. It sounds to me like Julie, you're coming back to your original conversation starter around you have to talk you have to hear what they want you know even before you get to the haggling portion of a negotiation you have to ask questions and get an understanding of the impetus behind all of this and that will arm you with everything you need for the negotiation from start to finish well i'm not sure if it's everything but it's a lot of it (laughs) and um and it and it you know really goes to what danny was saying you know are they interested in you know, is the number three or five or do they not care? Is this a one-off? You know, once you have that information, you have a much better ability to craft a higher value deal. Absolutely. Danny, you have anything you want to add to that? No, I think think that's exactly right. It's just about having the particular deal fit the need. And once you articulate that I only need the rind to make my magic potion, Mm -hmm. not giving them the pulp and not giving them the actual fruit because you've committed, you're saying, that's all I needed. Right. And then not letting that kind of open the door and then taking more than than you expressed the need for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's. I think that's a great illustration of how you can expand the terms or change the terms of the deal in order to get more value and make both sides happy, quite honestly. Um, oftentimes people go into negotiation feeling like, okay, it's a zero-sum game. If I'm happy, they're upset. If they're happy, I'm upset. But that's not how it has to be. So... The next thing I want to touch on is striking a balance because 
Oftentimes when we think of negotiation, we think of, well, you have to be a hard-nosed negotiator or you just kind of keel over. And, you know, in the first case, you're not going to have a good relationship with whoever you're negotiating with, uh, but you still have to work with them, right? So how do you strike the balance between getting what you want, being an excellent negotiator, and at the same time, being able to work with them afterwards? Because that's the reality, right? The negotiation is just the beginning of the relationship. Now you have to go create the content and work together. So how do you, how do you manage that balance? I think the important thing to start with is the understanding that being a principled, thoughtful, committed negotiator on behalf of your own interests does not mean you have to be a jerk. Yeah. <laughs> those two things, um, for some reason, those two things get tied up in ways that they shouldn't be. You could be the most pleasant, you know, civil, easy to talk to person in the world and absolutely committed to what your minimum requirements are and unwilling to budge from them. Mm -hmm. Those two things are not incompatible. So first, realizing that. And second, realizing that the stereotype of screaming and pounding on the table is really not long-term a successful strategy. Mm -hmm. You can bully some people some of the time, but that is absolutely not effective over the long term with most people. And you'll get a reputation for being impossible to deal with and they'll just move on and find someone else to work with. It's it's really that simple. So I I think sort of letting go of some of the things that people see in the movies and TV (laughs) um, is is the first step. Um, And also understanding that As you pointed out, this is a small universe of people. Someone who's working on behalf of one brand today could be working on behalf of another brand tomorrow. And every single interaction you have at some point, life is long. You could be crossing these people's paths again um, and keeping that in mind as you're comporting yourself out in the marketplace and in your negotiations is really, really critical. Yeah, absolutely. Danny, what do you see in terms of, or what do you advise your clients to do in in terms of these negotiations? I mean, obviously you provide some buffer sometimes, but oftentimes they'll have negotiate directly with the clients themselves. Yeah, I think exactly what Julie said. You can be adamant and firm with what you see as a necessary part of a deal without being rude or disrespectful mm-hmm. and just saying, hey, that doesn't work out for me. Thank you so much for thinking of me, um, but this deal won't work. And saying no is always the most powerful negotiating tactic. So if it doesn't work, you can be respectful and say no. But then on the flip side, to be reasonable and understand that the business, they have their concerns, they have um what they want to get out of it. And so understanding where they're coming from and then hopefully finding a, a middle ground where, where both sides are making sense and the deal makes sense mm-hmm. um, because you want to have a reputation for being reasonable. Yeah. And if a brand wants to use you for a particular reason and, and you're fine with that or the money correlates to that particular usage, then, then great. But if it doesn't, then you shouldn't accept it and because it's not a reasonable deal. Right. So, there, there's no reason to accept a deal that doesn't make sense or that makes you that raises raises the hair on the back of your neck or, mm-hmm. or you feel like the partner is not being honest or forthcoming with you. So it's just about finding and understanding the other side. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And would you change your tactics in terms of how you approach a negotiation if you're negotiating with a brand directly versus when you're negotiating with an agency that represents a brand? What do you think, Julie? Well, generally speaking, whenever you're dealing with an agent, um, 
I think the critical thing is to understand the authority boundaries. Does that agent actually have the authority to make a deal with you? Are you going to get caught in one of these? Well, I hear you. Let me go back to my client. And then they come back and say, sorry, you know, I, I tried to sell that deal. They wouldn't take it. You know, then you eventually end up sort of having two levels right. of negotiation. Right. Um, and, and you don't want to get caught in that trap. And if you find yourself dealing with an agent that you think isn't dealing with you straight or who is kind of playing you on this good cop, bad cop thing, um, I would say I need to, you know, any offers I get, I need to know that they're coming fully authorized. Um, mm-hmm. Otherwise, we're all wasting our time. So I think determining the scope and limits of authority is, is really the key thing to be on the alert for when you're dealing with an agent. And sometimes that agent might even be a member of the team, right? It could be a more junior person on the team who actually has to go and get approval. So it's not just an agency. Danny, what do you see? Exactly that. I always prefer to deal directly with the brand. It gives you a better sense for what the budget is. It signals that they're interested in in you and your particular client, or or if you are the influencer, that it's it's not just this blanket deal. Um, and then specifically on on compensation, it lets me know that when I'm dealing with an agency and like an ad agency, I always worry that there's money left on the table because whatever they get you to sign for, oftentimes they're keeping the difference. And so I want to be constructing the terms with the people who have the campaign in mind, who have those goals and not an ad agency who's, who's trying to make, please that brand and make them feel better mm-hmm. um, by, by getting aggressive terms and, and blanket usage and licenses. Right. So I, I often feel like the, the deals through the ad agencies are more aggressive, um, more kind of ambiguous in a negative way. Right. And it depends on the agency too, right? Because sometimes an agency has a retainer with a client and so it doesn't matter for them, right? They say, all right, we're already on retainer and we're, we have this much budget, you know, and, but sometimes it's all performance-based. Sometimes it really just depends um, on the agency. Exactly. It, it just depends on the particular deal. If it's a, for a giant campaign and there's, there's 10 other creators um, making content and and you happen to be one of them, then uh, that's very different than dealing with one, mm-hmm. uh, a one-off that's dedicated for you. Right. What about in these situations, and Danny, something you just mentioned, if you're one of 10 creators on a project, obviously you're just a part of a small piece. Do you guys have any tactics or strategies that allow you to create leverage when maybe you don't have much? I think that the only leverage you have is one, being able to say no. But talking up your audience and talking up your channel, because if you, let's say you don't have a lot of, of brand deals on your, on your channels, then you're very selective. And so your audience knows that you're not just taking every deal that comes across right. uh, your desk. And so you can say, they know that I only promote what I believe in and what I personally use. Mm-hmm. And it's not just a feed filled with brand deal after brand deal. Um, keep keep your stats, keep your engagement, keep your any tracking links, like keep that information on hand um, just to, to have in your arsenal and to be able to explain to the company, here's why I'm worth this. Here's what I've done in the past. And so you have those metrics to to create something that, that distinguishes you or, or adds value to the deal. Yeah, I think that's incredible. I think that a lot of negotiation is about storytelling, selling a story to the other side such that they believe in it and they bite on it. And if you can sell them, hey, yeah, I've got a smaller audience. I don't do a lot of collaborations, 
because I'm so selective, here's my audience split. It's 95% female. You are looking for females to sell this specific product. That is my core audience. I only do partnerships with people that I, or products that I really believe in. And this is something I really believe in. That, you know, it will ring true. And by the way, here are the last three projects I did look at the amazing content I created. You can win somebody over when they might have been lukewarm to start because you're able to spin together this wonderful story. Um, Julie, do you find that to be the case in a lot of the negotiations that you're seeing in teaching? Well, I mean, absolutely. If you're trying to uh, convince someone to proceed with you on terms that you find favorable, you have to be able to convince them that you're adding a unique value. And a great way to do that is to show your stats of what's special about what you're doing. And I love the idea of, you know, taking the notion of a small select niche audience and selling that as a positive, right. uh, framing whatever it is that you're doing as unique, special, different, makes it so that even if you're one of 10, you're an important piece in that 10. Yeah. You might be one of 10, but you're an essential cog in their effort to tell a broader story. Right. So Julie and Danny, thank you for joining us as a leave behind for all of the listeners what are the three things, and maybe we'll, go, we'll start with Julie and go to Danny. What are the three things that you would leave our listeners with when they're approaching a negotiation? I would say that my first of three would be zoom out. Think about every negotiation in the broadest possible terms. Everything that you could get out of this negotiation beyond just this straight up price tag, you know, relationships with people. Uh, potential work in the future, a stream of interactions, new professional network introductions. What are all the possible things you could get? And what are all the possible things you could offer to the other side? So number one, I'd say, try to give yourself the widest possible angle on analyzing any negotiation problem so that you can think about terms that are beyond the price tag and expand the overall value of the deal. So that's my first thing. Second, and there's absolutely a ton of research on this, the best negotiators are the most prepared negotiators. Do not start a negotiation with the kind of mindset of, well, let's just see what's the best I can do. That you're never going to do your best if that's where you start. <laughs> start with a really thoughtful preparation about, as I said, your aspirational goals, your expectations, your walkaway points. What are your alternatives? If you, as Danny said, you know, if you don't work with this Coca-Cola, you know, is Pepsi an alternative? Are you precluding those alternatives if you do this deal? You know, what what is what are your interests underlying all that? Um, what are the other sides? alternatives besides you. As we just mentioned, what is it that you can bring that's uniquely helpful to this transaction? Write all those things down. Come in prepared with a game plan and a story and be really confident and certain that you've thought this through well in advance. And then the third thing is really the mirror image of all of that, because all of that is a focus on yourself um, and what you can bring and what you're prepared to concede and all that. And then the flip side of it is really be intentional about listening. 
There are so many signals sent out in the course of a negotiation. And and this most obviously happens when you're actually having a conversation with someone, but there are all kinds of signals being sent in an email as well. Really pay deep attention to what the other side is saying and asking for and expressing as their priorities. Because once you understand what it is they really need and want, you're in a much better place to structure terms to address those needs and wants provided that's consistent with your own goals and aspirations. So I'd say zoom out, prepare hard, and listen deeply. Awesome. Thank you, Danny. What about you? I would say that the most important is to be able to describe the contract um, from a a very um, macro level. So you should always be able to understand who you're working for, what you're making, and then how it's going to be used. And it doesn't need to be written out across 10 pages of an agreement. It can Mm -hmm. be stated in bullet point format, but to understand exactly what the expectations are. Because the only problem occurs when there are differing expectations and one person wants one thing and the other side doesn't do it or doesn't believe they have to. And then there's a conflict. So as long as everyone's on the same page from the beginning, that's the most important thing. Um, Second is to, once you have that deal, so under promise, so get it down to the fewest number of obligations um, for the most amount of money, but then over deliver. And I think that it goes to your reputation. I think that everyone should, should be good partners and to, to show the world uh, as, as a performance that I'm, I'm good to work with, that I'm, I sell the product enthusiastically. Um, and, and that, that signals to future brands that that's someone I want to work with. And the third is to is to have a big picture for what your brand is and what your what you want to be and what you want your platform, what you want your channel, what you want your Instagram page to be and where you want it to go and to and just to stay on plan and and, and not do anything that deviates. And if there's a fourth one, I would say don't look back and don't don't uh, second guess yourself. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Well, I really appreciate that from both of you. We got the, a taste of kind of the uh, theory and textbook and you know teaching way of doing it from Julie and Danny talking about it from a granular, you know, been in it perspective on the influencer side of things. Just a perfect marriage of two different viewpoints of from uh, of how to properly negotiate. So, thank you both, uh, Danny and Julie, for joining us today on Influencer Business. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks again to Julie and Danny. An amazing conversation. As a quick recap, I want to pull out four things that I think are incredibly important. First of all, you have to be intentional about listening. When you get in a negotiation, emotions run high. Remind yourself, listen, listen, listen. The other side will tell you where they want to go, and then it's your job to figure out how you can make the deal fit. Number two, prepare, prepare, prepare. The best negotiators are the ones who are most prepared because not only do you have to know what you want and look at all the angles from your side, but you also have to look at the deal from the other side as well and try to get an understanding of what they want so that you're not surprised and you can go in and craft a deal that works for both of you. Three, make sure you understand and restate expectations. Oftentimes, what can go wrong in a negotiation is simply miscommunication. So make sure you understand and restate the expectations so everybody's on the same page. 
And finally, remember that your reputation is tied to your negotiation and then what you deliver. So if you don't deliver on a deal that you negotiate, it will impact your ability to negotiate the next one. It's a small world out there. It's a small industry. People talk and your reputation matters when it comes to negotiations and your ability to create leverage. If you like what you heard today, make sure you give us that five-star rating and leave us a glowing review. We always appreciate it. For all of this and more, head to TropeBusiness.com. We have an incredible number of resources for you on the topic of negotiation. The podcast is great, but we also have some nice supplements. So make sure you head over to TropeBusiness.com to dive deeper into the topic of negotiation. As always, big shout out to Pete Crimmy for always making us sound better over the podcast. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Influencer Business. I'm your host, Rich Scudelari, and we'll see you next week.